Hello, I'm Alan Partridge and welcome to Kit Pod. Today we're going to be talking about Norwich shirts, except we're not because they're shit and Alan Partridge is a joke. Welcome to Kit Pod. So hello everyone, I'm Tom, aka the shirt fan and probably public enemy number one in the, the East Anglia region. And this week I'm joined by Adrian. Hello, public enemy number one in the Vietnam region. And I'm also joined by Rob. Uh, everyone's a public enemy that lives in Middlesbrough. And I'm also <laughs> joined by Alex, who hates uh, you. Public, public enemy <laughs> in Gelsenkirk, and I think that's probably my limit. <laughs> Brilliant, let's get on with the news. We had a couple more great Ukraine-themed shirts. We had a special day for the men and women in the box. And there was an excellent example of community Twitter content. But, Adi, do you want to start, start, start us off? Start us off with that Juventus fourth shirt. Yeah, I would love to. No, I wouldn't love to, but I'm drawing a short straw and I'm going to talk to you about the Juventus fourth shirt. So Juventus have decided, as you say, with 37 days left of the season, that's, I think, roughly eight games for them, depending on whether they uh, see off Fiorentina in the semi-final of the Coppa Italia. Uh, with 37 games left, they decided to release a fourth shirt, which is admirable of them. Uh, it gives the fans a lot of chance to wear it. It is going to be worn against Bologna this weekend. We can only hope that uh, that ends in defeat and a valiant win for Arnautovic. The collab is with a street artist called Cobra, spelled with a K, in case you want to look him up. Uh, his work's very unique and very special. In fact, most of his work's a lot better than his football shirt that he's produced for Juventus, so don't write him off just based on this. Um, the, the, the shirt itself is, I would say, it is more recognisable of his work. He does work with geometric shapes and the triangles, and do look up some of his work. Don't, as I say, don't write him off based on this. He does genuinely produce some other great stuff. 37 days left for the season. Why? You know, why? And also the shirt colour scheme, almost identical to the third shirt. I can only, I can only assume they're basically admitting that that shirt is awful. We all think it is anyway. Uh, I can only assume that they're admitting defeat at the very last hurdle at the end of the season and thinking, yeah, we need to replace this blue and yellow shirt. Objectively, I don't mind it. It's got a horrible... It's not a horrible sponsor. It is the sponsor. The sponsor takes up a large part of the shirt um, on the boxed-off centre of the shirt. The rest of the shirt, on its own, sponsor aside, it's the event shirt, so I don't want to yeah, obviously promote it too much, but it looks quite nice. I only hope for their sake that they've let the referee know in advance that they're wearing different colours against Bologna because, you know, I know they like to tip off the referee to make sure they get um, get the run of the play. But um, what do you guys think? I think, aside from the fact that they're releasing the shirt so close to the end of the season, which is quite frankly ridiculous, I think that we've got an issue with some of these sponsors that these teams have got at the moment. I think there needs to be definitely some adjustments made to whether it's the colour scheme or or the lettering to fit in with what, what the teams are doing, because these artists that are getting involved, they've obviously got a design in mind, they've got an idea of what they want the shirt to look like. Then you slap a sponsor on the front that looks pretty bad anyway, it kind of is just ruining the shirt. I wonder if we need to get 
or artists or clubs or whatever need to go down the sponsorless route on some of these because otherwise you're pretty much ruining what the design looks like. I've seen um, some of the artists work and I think the colour schemes would have worked better that he uses than the one they've actually gone for on the shirt. A lot more greens and stuff like that. But it just... It doesn't quite work because of the sponsor, I think. some I'd seen some people Photoshop different images into the middle of it, which looked quite good, but that sponsor's never going to make that shirt any good, really. So I guess on the shirt colour, you know, Serie A rules are quite strict and you have to have three main colours. And the artist himself, I mean, I say it is worth looking up his work. He usually uses about 17 different colours on his artwork. So being combined to three is tricky. Um, yeah. The, the, the shirt, if you could imagine it without that sponsor and the same pattern throughout the shirt, I hate to say it, it, it would look quite nice. I, I think going back to the sponsor, it, it's very strange that when clubs have so much kind of possessiveness over their identity, that you wouldn't have some kind of say on the sponsor because 4XE is just one of the Jeep brands or one of their products. I understand, obviously, Jeep's kind of an unintrusive pretty safe sponsor isn't it you wouldn't be worried if it was splashed across your team shirt but that 4xe just absolutely kills it especially when it clashes so much with kind of the you know the color scheme and, and so on it's very strange that the marketing department haven't had a say in that to say can we just take your brand generally as in terms of the, the overall design i think it's there's nice elements of it it's different it's distinctive but yeah the the sponsor kills it straight from the the start think it's a shame as well like you said because that 4xe is the real killer and jeep is on the verge or has been on the verge of for a little while of becoming one of those iconic sponsors you know in line with like motta or pirelli or something like that just for longevity and it's it's a association with juve but yeah that 4xe it's it's quite hard to take um but moving on to the next little bit of news and alex you have something slightly more uplifting for us yeah so We've spoken about Forward Madison in the past. So they're a third tier USL team and they've really shown an innovative approach to, to kit designs. Lot, lots of things that like the drip kit obviously went crazy. They had the reversible shirt. They had the friends with benefits where you could buy a beer for somebody in the stadium, an idea of kind of connecting the international fan base and so on. And so now they've released this Ukraine kit. So they've kept their typical sash Hummel design, but they've done it in the Ukrainian flag colours, yellow and light blue. And they've released that with all the proceeds going to charity. And in addition to that, they've also auctioned off, they wore the kits last week in the inaugural game of the season. They've auctioned the kits off for charities. They've got about $6,000 from those, which for a third tier team in the US leagues is pretty good. But yeah, if you, you want to check it out, still available in different sizes. And again, all the proceeds go to the Ukraine UNICEF appeal. Yeah, it's a really great cause. I think classic football shirts will be stocking those if they're not already. And again, the money from those shirts will be going into their Ukraine appeal. So yeah, it's a, it's a great shirt. Like you said, Alex, Hummel have done a really good job with it. And just to note that Wickham have done a very similar thing. They've also created a yellow and blue kit. And they wore it and they've auctioned off the match-worn kits as well. So, again, another opportunity to raise some funds for a much-needed cause. Rob, I hear you're going to be talking about some great Twitter content. Yeah, so as you know from um, last week's Pod as well, Shirt Union, a great account on Twitter, quite a large following. 
um, share lots of deals out there and lots of different shirts. But one of the great things that they do at the start of the year, they put a grid together of all the shirts that have been released at the start of the season for you to keep track on either your own team or teams from across the leagues. One of the best things about that now is that it's getting towards sales season where stockists are starting to clear out some of their shirts, put them at ridiculously cheap prices, like ridiculously cheap prices, especially when some people have paid 75, 80 quid at the start of the season for shirts that they probably want to get rid of after three months. This is the great time to pick them up between now and the end of the season. So the Premier League one has just come out on the Shirt Union Twitter account. So have a look. Then they've gone even further this year. They've released uh, tweets underneath. So the big, massive thread for every team, the home away third shirts, where you can get them for the best price at the cheapest rates. So it's pretty good. I'm actually looking for the Champions League shirts, obviously, still. So we've got Real, Villarreal, Liverpool and Man City. So I'll be checking out when... Um, the Liverpool and Man City shirts go as cheap as possible. My, my savvy plan this year is to buy all four semi-finalist shirts while they're still cheap um, and send them back if they don't get through. So I don't know what I'll end up with, actually. Probably Man City, to be honest, which might upset a few people, but I can see them win the Champions League this year. Um, I mean, to go back a step, uh, a shout-out to Andy and Tom. They do a great job, don't they? Like three or four times a year, they de- deliver these really useful compendiums of, of where you can get the cheapest shirts and one of the things really interesting is just the variety that there is in terms of like pricing like for United's 10th version of the snowflake shirt that you can get as the away shirt is now 25 quid from the club shop whereas Adrian the um, unknown pleasures uh, Newcastle away that you really liked still resolutely uh, sports director holding out for £65 for that so incredible kind of the variety in price that you know, price points are even at this stage of the season it's a future classic Alex yeah and we do have to salute the shirt union as well because they put more effort and work into those kit grids than we ever do on this podcast so yeah go check it out if you're on Twitter we also had a commemorative day this week and it was the International Day of the Goalkeeper. I think that was on Thursday last week. And uh, Rob, I know you're a huge 90s goalkeeper shirt fan and the shirts these days, they're, they're not quite so good, are they? So it was great for us all to have a day of reminiscing about some of those classic goalkeeper shirts from days gone by. Um, can you pick out any favourites? Yeah, I remember um, talking about this ages and ages ago on um, on Twitter with someone about 90s goalkeeper shirts and then one of those big like 90s football accounts picked it up and was like look at these 90s goalkeeper shirts aren't they great not the first time Twitter content will be stolen by someone and uh, repeated for retweets and likes but there we go so 90s goalkeeper shirts I think one of the best things about them is no one seems to care what they look like because if you do look at them some of the designs are absolutely insane it was kind of like they would design the kits they were probably a little bit more conservative than some of the shirts that you get now in terms of like the homes, quite classic, etc. Goalkeeper shirts, though, literally all bets were off. Some of the some of the best ones are sat. I'm obviously Borough biased. Borough have got a great 96, 97 one that was basically a rip-off of the Adidas Predator goalkeeper shirts, which were, I think, the season before, and they were brilliant. But like Newcastle having like the Tyne Bridge on one of their shirts against like a uh, orangey yellow sunset was just like utterly absurd as, a, as an actual design for a shirt but look absolutely unbelievable we highlighted a few on the on the um twitter account you've got some of the united ones were great obviously buffon had a classic one i'm actually gonna my little finishing point before everyone else starts jumping is 
I don't like any of the Jorge Campos Mexico goalkeeper shirts. I think they're absolutely terrible. Obviously, they're mad and they're supposed to be mad. But I actually think as a, as a goalkeeper shirt, compared to some of the other crazy ones from the 90s, I actually think they're pretty bad. That's the most controversial thing said on this <laughs> podcast today, which is unbelievable so because we're going so times. Um, one thing I will say, that was a joke at the start of the show that I made about Norwich shirts because their 90s goalkeeper shirts were actually pretty good. So before anyone gets too upset, it was a joke, an Alan Partridge joke. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think my favourite goalie shirt of all time, it has to go back to Buffon, I think. You know, those early days, Palmer shirts. I mean, you can take your pick. Almost every goalie shirt he wore when he was at Palmer was an absolute classic. Um, Adrian, do you have a particular favourite in mind? So I'm not a massive collector of goalkeeper shirts. I've not paid much attention, but what has been nice last week is to see Puma do some 90s throwback um, shirts. I saw them release some shirts with semen on them. Alex, any favourites? You asked. <laughs> um, it's interesting, isn't it, that in the 90s, you can think of lots of classic goalkeeper kits. Like uh, I think Rob mentioned the Schmeichel one. There's like David James. You can think of some great Liverpool ones, Juventus, some of the brilliant Barcelona ones. Can you think of many classic goalkeeper kits or must have over the last decade or so? We've had some brilliant kits outfield. I think that I, I love that Barca 20, is it 1920, 2021? template the champions league that was never worn and psg used it i think that's been quite popular it was a m&m release but there aren't really they, they just the effort doesn't seem to go into that a lot of templates isn't it yeah i think is it some i think someone put on the thread that it's one of the uefa rules isn't it that it has to be one um full color or all the same color or something so that's why you see a lot of the nike ones especially they've got a black one a green one a yellow one but all the clubs tend to have the same colors so they just interchange when they play against each other. And Borough have got Hummel. We've got a yellow one. Uh, we've had a green one, a black one. We've had a purple one. So it's kind of just the same um, colours that kind of get recycled more than anything else. So they don't actually design any shirts. They just manipulate the colours on them, which is pretty boring, to be honest. I mean, that was definitely opposite to the case in the 90s, weren't they? Because they were just crazy. I mean, a couple of shout-outs for ones that are on the top of my mind, those uh, late 90s England goalie shirts, you know, you can't see David Seaman in, in them. Um, and then there was, of course, Tom on Twitter, who's a big Bochum fan, and uh, he's constantly sharing lots of great goalkeeper shirts from the 90s, has a couple of really impressive ones in his collection too. That one that you mentioned, Alex, um, the the Barcelona one from the other year, it's, it's funny because they were based on the old 90s goalkeeper shirts too. Like the, the design was inspired by those so yeah I guess this kind of backs up what Rob was saying that they've definitely gone downhill in the last two decades the goalie shirts which is a shame so this week we have a very special guest and it is Stu Scott Curran who was the head of global design at Nike As always with our feature on the Kitmag pod, we try and get someone a little bit different every week with our feature to try and give a different opinion on shirt collecting or the ideas behind shirts. And this week, we're really, really pleased to be joined by someone who's got a view on the other side, the design of the kits, what goes into the shirts. And it's really, really exciting to talk to someone who's got that viewpoint, maybe away from us as kit collectors. So we're joined by Stu Scott Curran, who was the senior apparel graphic designer for Global Football Apparel at Nike, and then later on worked at Umbro as well. Uh, so, Stu, uh, great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? 
I'm doing really well, guys. Thanks for having me. appreciate right. the opportunity to chat. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this. Myself and Adrian, we've got a few questions that we want to ask just sort of to understand a little bit about the design process. So, Adrian, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I apologise for stalking you, Stu, tracking you down and inviting you onto the pod. But once I, once I came across your name and saw the body of work that you'd undertaken, had to get you on and had to have a chat to you. So I appreciate It's funny that folks still think about some of those things, even though... I haven't been doing it for a few years now. Like it's it's kind of cool how something like a football shirt just ingrains itself in the memory and the you know the collective memory and the culture of of the game. So honestly, it's a fun opportunity to to think about some of that work and how it came to be and all of the you know the works and all. I'm sure we're going to mention loads of those shirts as we carry on chatting to you. But yeah, you know, for, for our listeners that perhaps are wondering what all the fuss is about and why I stalked you down, we're talking about pretty much all of the Nike international shirts from the 07 to 10, 11 period. So the 08 Euros to 10 World Cup, all, all those period of shirts. You worked with some of the biggest clubs in the world in Barcelona, Juventus, Inter Milan, Manchester United. Um, yep. I mean, does the, the list goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that was all really fun. So I guess if we start at the beginning, you know, we're the amateurs. We just love looking at what you've designed, buying what you've designed and sharing what you've designed. But how does the design process begin? How does it start? That's a really good place to start. Adrian, a company like Nike, I mean, we we designed for, I think when you totaled up the total amount of clubs and federations in any given season, I think it was about, it was 30 or 40 or so so there's there's like a it's like a fair old amount of work normally like we'd come into the season whenever the point in time that we would start doing the work and and the research there would be like a a point of view from the company from the people specifically the people that work on the innovation side they're thinking about the materials that we're going to be working with this season. They're thinking about like, how are we going to approach things like ventilation or moisture management? There's, there's all of that kind of like technical stuff that is like ongoing work, which they're just trying to make the fabrics, the fit, the construction as, as good as it can possibly be. And so there, there's a process of us kicking off a season, working with them, seeing what they've got. And then we're starting to think about, okay, what are the stories that we're going to tell through the kits and through the the, the uniforms? And it's, it's a case of balancing the, the Nike approach and what do we want to do with the Nike brand as like an on-field asset? And then also how do we use that as a lens through which uh, we pass through the unique club cultures, you know, the supporter cultures, you know, wherever these clubs might be on their journey, what their history is. So it's a case of kind of mashing those two things together. And that's kind of like where the whole ball starts rolling. We'll typically go spend some time with some of these clubs in some of these countries, learn about their history, learn about their culture, and just trying to like absorb as much as possible that we can then, we can start to reflect those stories in the designs themselves. Is it something that when you start working with a club or with a federation, would you be sort of given a direction from that point and say, look, this is our history, this is what tournaments we've won, these are famous shirts that our fans have enjoyed. Do you get that beforehand before you go sort of on site if you like to look at the club and look at the location or is it kind of bridging the two things together it's a little bit of bridging the two i mean 
I can say this now that I don't work there anymore, but like Nike's paying a lot of these clubs a, a lot of money. And a lot of times like we'll we'll go in and they're very, typically very excited to be getting some of the best product in the business, especially for promo product that the players wear on on field. It performed really well, typically. But you know, we will we will go visit them. We're in this constant state of of learning about the clubs that we work with. Uh, we may be signing new clubs or federations, and we're involved with the pitching process there. You know, so we're we're constantly trying to learn like what makes a club tick, what the supporters relate to, what are their favorite moments, like why do they love the club that that they love. And usually we'll we'll go spend some time. You can't visit everywhere every year, but you know, over time you kind of gradually build this this library of of these insights that that you can use um and yeah a lot of it's about things that they've won special moments in history but you know we we try and go a little bit deeper than that we try and like understand some of the stories and what it really meant to people like i'll use an example of like one of the first ones i did was the commemorative lisbon lions shirt for for celtic and as a rangers fan that was like a really a really special special one to do it was always one of my favorites to do because they would rip me apart mercilessly every time i went to visit the club but it was all very good natured um <laughs> but you know we would we talked to supporters there and there was one guy who was like yeah i was watching it with the family my youngest was drinking a glass of coca-cola and when they scored he jumped up the coke hit the ceiling and left a stain there but like anytime i paint the ceiling i make sure to leave that spot <laughs> exposed that. because that's the memory and so we're always trying to like dig into and like understand like these these just little nuggets of culture that you know go beyond just the fact that they want it and who was on field and what the score was and you know like we we, we try and understand these little stories because it just it allows you to understand what's going to resonate with them on like a real emotional level it's about trying to capture like you say emotion and try and capture culture which is very very difficult to do graphically and you know as an image in, in an item isn't it so yeah trying to do that doff my cap to you we try and do that a lot the other one there was there was a story of you know bertie old in the in the tunnel and that team were were all from like a 10 mile radius of the same area in in glasgow and there was a story of them lining up in the tunnel in lisbon before the game all of these like tanned oiled Italians, you know, kind of like in a bunch of kind of ginger pale, pale Scotsmen. But Bertie Old started singing the Celtic song in, in the tunnel. And that was the thing that really kind of like, like threw the Italians off. They're like, what's, we don't really, what's going on now? Like, why are they singing a song in the tunnel? You know, there's all like these little things that, that kind of embed themselves into, into the culture of a, of a football club that are really kind of useful devices that you can reflect back and then hopefully hopefully imbue some kind of deeper meaning into into the work that you're doing on the kit. We won't test you and see uh, if you know the lyrics and where's that song at all. I do, but I won't <laughs> admit to it. <laughs> Five minutes left now. One goal each. Matter. And Madam Johnson, the killed gentleman on the pitch. 
In terms of that research process, when you've got the you, so you've been to the clubs, you've you've met the fans, you've got the research from the club or the, the direction that you want to go in. What's mm-hmm. that? T- what's that time then between that research starting and then you're really sort of motoring on in terms of the design process, leading into when you get towards that manufacturing stage, or even before that, when you start showing designs to clubs. Yeah, the, the, we 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 come back, and I, I think there's there's probably like a time of like two or three weeks maybe where where we kind of like synthesizing the research that we that we brought back kind of colliding that with where the nike brand is going at that particular time and and, and really coming up with what we would call like a seasonal concept in terms of like how we actually want to start talking about these things and then we'll start designing we'll start with the tier one clubs i'm sure you're aware that not everybody gets a completely bespoke kit. There's kind of like your top assets, your Man United's, your Barcelona's, your Inter's. There's like a tier two, which was like the Porto's and the, the Hertha Berlin's or whoever. And then there's kind of like the more templatized stuff as, as like the tier three. We'd, we'd start with the, with, with the top ones and we'd start making like a presentation which speaks to the story that we're trying to tell that season. The specific insights that we're that we're leveraging, uh, what we're doing on the technical side, like this is how it's going to perform. This is what the fabric looks like. We start to prepare samples, fabric samples, to take around so that they can touch it and feel it. Um, and then we'd make a series of like presentation boards. So they're literally it's the whole presentation printed out on a series of foam core boards that you can that you can carry around. We don't want to be sending that stuff around in emails because it can get forwarded on very easily so we literally take boards with us that once we get approval they will actually get a sharpie and sign the board and then that's the literal sign off i wish more people took that precaution now because i get sick of seeing all these kit links i know know. we 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 try to be as careful as we as we possibly could because you know that stuff gets out easily we would occasionally do like red herons we would occasionally like accidentally post stuff that, that wasn't wasn't right if we were trying to keep something special under wraps but yeah so i think you know it's probably a process of like three or four months start to finish and that includes visiting the club bringing their feedback then there was typically a second round where we would go with what we'd call presentation samples so like actual kits that the factories have have worked up for us so that they can start to see it come to life. And there's probably like two or three different presentations that you go through as you start to get closer. At the same time, we're, we're talking to some of the players. We're, we're trying to understand like how kits that we've done before have performed. Does, does it fit well? Are there any, any areas that are causing abrasion? Or, you know, is, it, is the moisture wicking working really well? How did they get laundered, you know? like. I remember spending a ton of time in the Man United laundry room with the ladies there making us a cup of tea and complaining that they were getting too much pillin when they were washing their shirts at a certain temperature. I mean, um, there's T90s, Stu. I'll tell you what, T90s. T90s, but that was one where it's like, not to take too much of a detour, but you look at United now and I'm like, well, this is because Ferguson isn't there because he was involved in every single aspect. He would he wanted to know what temperature the kits were getting washed at, so that he would know 
Like, and so he was just like in every single aspect, he would sign off personally on all of the kits. But yeah, we would, we would spend time with them in the, in the laundry, just like understanding how many times are these things washed? Do they shrink? Do they not? Like what, you know, what happens? Do they like it? Do they not? I remember Jens Lemon pulling us aside one day and berating us because we'd done a neckline that he didn't like and therefore he had to take every single goalie shirt to the local tailors to, to get it changed. So there's all of these like little conversations that you're that you're having along the way that allow you to just like understand how the thing performs as well as whether the story that, that you're telling resonates. There is so much that goes into it and we kit collectors and kit fans just end up complaining about oh yeah the collar could have been blue or it could have been white or you know this could have been but you know it's one of those things where you forget that there's so much that goes into it other than what it looks like on a rail or on a shelf or on a fan there is a lot more in terms of the technology what are some of those things that the innovation department would bring to you that you kind of thought wow this is really different this is really exciting what are some of those sort of late 2000s developments that really push things forward well, there was a couple. There was one, I mean, I remember we got into laser cutting, you know, and so we would we would laser cut like ventilation holes like on, on the side. There was something that we got into, which was like a, a seamless knit. So like the whole uniform was, was knitted together, like as just like one singular piece of thread, which mean, meant that you didn't have any sides because side seams are the ones that typically as you move they can sometimes lead to abrasion like under the arms and you know as as a game progresses those are the types of things that as a player gets tired they start to become more aware of and so we were trying to trying to think through how we can just give them that slight performance advantage so that was one and then the other big one was when we started spinning polyester thread from recycled plastic bottles, that was that was another one, which was like, hey, we're actually able to to recycle these bottles, turn them into thread, make football kits from them, and that was like a cool story to tell through marketing, as well as like actually gave us like a really soft polyester thread, which again helped in the performance side. Because I mean, people think that's quite a new concept. You know, I think Jacob made a big deal about all of their shirts this year being made out of recycled plastic bottles, and then we had some of the older Adidas kits. They launched a few of their shirts that were made made quite a big deal this recently, as sort of two thousand eighteen. I think Manchester yeah. United had a third or fourth shirt yeah. um, made up. But ha- that technology's actually been there for quite a while. Then, well, yeah, we did it for World Cup twenty ten for the for the first time, you know, and that was kind of like you know that was something that it was the first time that we'd done it. It was pretty fun to to just try and do these things in a different way. Have you ever had a moment where the innovation guys come in with their big cork boards and just give you a presentation and they start giving you something that you think, what on earth are you talking what about? What on earth is that? No way they're um, going to put that on a football shirt. I don't remember one. I do. I think it was more the other way around, honestly. It was like, hey, we have this story that we want to tell. Here's this thing that we want to do. Yeah. And then they were like, yeah, that's not. That's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. Because cost was another thing, you know. Like yeah. we would, we would have to try and hit a specific margin for each uniform. You know, a Man United shirt is millions of units, and so if I'm one cent more expensive on a on a shirt, extrapolate that over several million kit shirts, you know, it becomes an expense. So we're we're always trying to think about like 
Is this something we're able to do from the cost side? Does the supporter get the value from it? Can we, like, if we're using this rib on the sleeve, can we use the same one on like another another club? So I think some of the stuff that, that we would typically get pushed back on is like the fancy super bespoke stuff that we wanted to do that maybe just didn't make sense from like a, a budget perspective. Was that quite a challenge then? trying to weave in the stories and the sort of cultural elements that you kind of get into the design for. And then thinking about those tier one clubs where you said you wanted to give them something more bespoke because they were your big assets yeah. from a company point of view and from a club point of view. Yeah. Did you find that you could you could balance that between your tier one bespoke, but then also have some of those elements for those tier two clubs? We did. I mean, you just have to pick your spots. For for the tier one assets, you're usually giving them some kind of a unique neckline because that's like an, an area of the kit that is really obvious when it's different. Or we're giving them like a unique printed pattern or some of the, we're doing like a unique and kind of premium execution of the badge embroidery or something like that. And then we'd look to do these little graphic hits here and there. And that's typically the place where you're like, okay, can you do two? Can you do three? Depends on the budget, depends how much else you're spending on on the uniform. But sometimes you can get away with doing something quite different. Like actually one of my very favorites was if you remember the United Home Kit that had the big white stripe down down the back. That was something that was that was really unique and really different. But that actually had the best margin of any of the kits that year, just because it was it was really different, but it was also really simple. And it was also like relatively inexpensive to do. And, and so it held that, back on the glue on the stripe from what I'm told. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Believe me, I've been in situations watching World Cups with Nike executives when the numbers start falling off the back and it's not a pleasant place to be, <laughs> let me tell you. But that was one where it's like, okay, let's actually try and do something different here. Uh, and we made it work within within the budget. So there, there are definitely op- opportunities. It's just about like what, what makes sense from that club and where they're at at that point in time. Some clubs are really willing to like take some risks and do something different. Others are just really conservative. PSV Eindhoven, they were like four white stripes and five red ones. And that's the only way it's ever going to be. But someone like Barca, you can, you can change it up every season. Wow, that's really, really interesting. I've got a couple of questions on templates. So I get the impression your tier one team might have, I don't mm-hmm. know, four or five different ideas pitched to them and they can essentially choose which shirt they want. And I guess it ratchets down tier two. They get more set examples that are in keeping with the Nike story for that year. The template team, so they they know all nations, they know their template teams when they sign the contract with Nike. Some of these contracts are like three or four or five years. So they're almost committing to you telling them they've got little say other than trims and cuts and things like that, have they? They've got little say. I mean, we talk about, still even on a template, there's still room for customization. I think like typically we would do like two or three different necklines. So there would maybe be a V, there would be a collar, there would be a crew neck. We would have like a couple different stripes patterns there would maybe like be one with a sash and maybe one with like a, a center stripe there's like a solid one and then you can do like contrast cuffs or or self-colored like you can do different stripe we'd be doing different stripe patterns on the other clubs so so using them on the templated teams make actually makes it become a little bit more cost efficient so 
they might be templatized, but there's still a lot of room for for making that feel like relatively unique. And we would still do some of the the, the little graphic details as well that make it feel a little bit more special. So even though it was templatized, there, there was still room to to have them feel that they were getting something that was a little bit tailored to them. You know, like what what shade of what shade of red the RC lawns need. You know, like. I'm not that bothered, you know, like they can, they can pick from three or four and they can feel like they're really being part of that design process. But those three shades of red, we're, we're using them elsewhere, they're in United or Barca or, you know, wherever else we might be doing. So those are all developed anyway. So you can, you can give them opportunities to have a say. It's probably another area where we as football fans put more weight on than a club and designers would, I suppose, thinking that we could have had this and we could have had that and, and, and things like that. But in terms of those teams that you were making shirts for, I've got replicas of like Champions League shirts from 92, 93 onwards. So there's quite that golden period that you're at Nike in the sense that quite a lot of those shirts were the Champions League winning shirts. So, I mean, I've got them myself. You got Barcelona, Man United, Barcelona won again, Inter won, Barca won again. What's that feeling like when you've been involved with producing shirts like that and you see them sort of in those huge games? It's very strange. And the reason it's very strange is that we typically work because the production timelines are are typically so long because we're making so many of these things in so many different ways and they need to be shipped around the world and blah, blah, blah. We're, we're typically done with design about a year and a half before the things actually show up on the pitch. And so by the time that I'm watching United play in a Champions League final, I've already designed the next season, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at that thinking, ah, I could have done that better. Ah, the shit that we're doing now is so much better than that. It's a typical designer's mentality, I think, which is to look forward and be excited about the next thing rather than the thing that you did like 18 months ago. So it was always a little bit strange. And also like it's taken me a little while being outside of that environment to to fall in love with the game again. When you're watching something like that, you're always looking through a very critical design lens and even like what other brands are doing, you're kind of looking at it and trying to trying to dissect how it's constructed and what they're doing and how does it work and does it look good or not. You kind of get lost a little bit in some of those technicalities rather than just purely enjoying the game for for what it is. And I think like when I left there, I was kind of done with football for a couple of years, you know? I was like, I really don't want to think about this stuff for, for, for much longer. So. Yeah, in answer to your question, it's it's obviously exciting. It's really fun to see the work that you did perform at the highest level. But you're also like, we've already moved on to the next thing. I can't imagine what that's like looking at some of the shirts you designed. But like you say, you, you've probably done the next season and started the season after at the point at which they're in a final. Exactly right. Nicholas Anelka. Oh, yes! Manchester United! champions of Europe 50 years after Munich 40 years after Wembley 9 after the new Camp the Reds rule Europe again Rob's just listed some of the amazing shirts you've worked on. I know when we spoke previously, I talked about some of the shirts that I loved. Shall we do a bit of a quick fire and go through okay. some of your favourites 
and you know, maybe if you want to tell us the ones you weren't as happy with. So from a club perspective, which are your favourite club shirts that you've designed? Favourite club shirts were always Celtic because that was kind of so close to where, where I grew up. The fan base is so passionate. You know that the stuff that you're doing means something to the folks that are buying it. And that's really the best thing that you can ask for. So they were always really fun. The intercentenary away shirt, which was the Red Cross, which was, that was like one of the ones where the club were really up for doing something unique. We were trying to figure out for the longest time how to make the Pirelli sponsor work. And it was actually Massimo Moratti, the chairman at the time, who said, hey, just shrink it down and put it in the corner. I don't care, you know? And like, those were the types of relationships that were always like really fruitful and really fun to do. And then I think like the last year at Highbury, the maroon away shirt, for the same reasons as Celtic, like that was a really kind of like emotional season for Arsenal. They were saying goodbye to their, to Highbury. And that was like a really special thing to be, to be part of and to, to really kind of go deep and, and to think about how you can possibly reflect this moment in time through through a football shirt it was kind of like a really special special process to be part of yeah i was gonna say what about those international teams whether it was teams that you felt a connection with in terms of when you did that research part and the design mm-hmm. part or from a design mm-hmm. point of view what were some of the memorable ones that you've done with with the international clubs the international ones yeah the obvious one would be brazil but brazil i always found really tough because it was it was kind of the gold star in the Nike portfolio. And there was always just like a lot of internal conversation and people that had opinions about it. That was always actually like a really hard one to do. So not them. I think like I loved, I always loved doing. Um, I don't want to prompt you, but I loved your Croatia ones. The Croatia ones were always really good. Yeah, that, it was always fun to try and do something different with white and red checks. You know, like that, that was always a challenge. We never did Scotland, unfortunately, but 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 we can't have everything. I think like Korea was always a really good one to do because they were always up for doing something something different. And and I, I think like the ones that I enjoyed most were the places that I got to go visit and meet some of the people there and understand what they cared about why they were passionate about the game and so Korea was always was always one where we were always looked after really well they were really passionate about the uniform they always gave us a lot of great great input and actually now I think about it you know I think one of the most fun international kits was when Nike became a supplier of the French national team and and we spent a week in France uh, traveling up and down the country, talking to different groups of fans, players, cultural experts, like really doing like a deep dive into everything that made French football tick. Spent some time in Marseille. We did Lyon. We did Paris, Bordeaux. We, we, we could have just gone to Paris, you know, and spent a few days there, but we really wanted to go to different areas of the country and try and understand kind of like how they thought about the French national team in different different areas of the country. Um, and that process was 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 really really fun too. It was a new one that we hadn't done before, so there was lots of stuff to learn. It was an opportunity to do something that was really different from the Adidas kits that, they, that they'd had for for quite a long time. At that time, Addy were doing stuff that had a lot of bells and whistles on it, and 
piping and you know all kind of like weird and wonderful stuff and we were like okay let's just do the opposite of that let's do something really simple so i think we just did like a really simple dark blue with a collar it was, looked super classy super simple the the fabric was really nice so that was one that was that, that was really fun to be involved with I think that definitely stands out with some of those Nike shirts around that period in time when you can see the simplicity in the shirts. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, with the brands and the different identities they sort of had where you've got Adidas, obviously, and Nike are so different despite the fact that they're two huge, huge brands and they've got a lot of history behind them. Did you have a brand identity that you were thinking about using as you were researching these teams? I know we talked about templates before, but mm -hmm. were the sort of principles that you all had as designers where you thought, you know, we want to make this kit in this way and then we want to sort of do this with this group and things like that? And those were ultimately like Nike principles, stuff that folks that did footwear thought about, folks that did different sports would think about. One of those things at that point was... We called it simplify to amplify so we would we would try and kind of like strip out some of the unnecessary pieces in order to make the things that we did do just put more focus and more effort in, into them so like a fabric for example like a lot of brands would use different fabrics for different areas of the of the uniform i think that was definitely something that adidas was doing at that time and and we were like okay rather than trying to develop three or four different fabrics let's let's just find the one that we really really want to invest in it hopefully feels as nice as possible it performs as well as possible it takes on the color really in a like a really rich and vibrant way like we would just try and focus on those details and that was something that you say rob was that was more of like a nike ethos as much as it was, you know, any specific individual that, that, that was working on the product. Would you say this one shirt that you designed that captures that thought process the best, you know, the keeping it simple to show more? To segue into like kind of the last act of my football journey, it was probably that first England kit that we did at Umbro. That was after they were acquired by Nike. And so we were bringing in, we were changing some processes. We were shifting over to different factories. And I think like Umbro had been in a little bit of the same space and that they would just throw a lot of shit on the kit, you know, like gold badges and plastic bits. And we were always like, how do they afford to do all of that stuff? But you know, when, when we got in there, we wanted to kind of bring through some of the simple ethos that, that we've been doing. And there was an opportunity uh, with some of the fabric vendors that we were working with to do something that actually felt like a cotton shirt. When you combine that with the tailoring history of the company and where it started doing men's shirts, there was like a historical significance as we started to think about relaunching the Umbro brand. It was a real good chance to bring all of those things together and a really simple kit that hopefully reflected the feeling of football fans to the national team at that point, brought in the company's heritage, allowed us to do something with a really nice cotton. Those tailor-made kits are probably the comfiest kits of all time. And I tell you now, when England are playing, nine times out of ten, I'll still pick one of those shirts out of the wardrobe to put on if I'm wearing it and going out with friends yeah. and things like that because they are just so comfy and so great and the cut's brilliant on them. They're just, they're just yeah. amazing shirts. Yeah, and that's like, we spent a lot of time on the fit, you know, like, where's the 
what's the difference between something you wear for fashion and comfort versus something that needs to perform on the field? How can you balance the two? Can you blend the two things together? It was a pretty fun process. We need a shout out to Mike Footy Shirts at this point, don't we, Adrian, for his wearing a tailored shirt, the England one, underneath a wedding suit. And you genuinely, genuinely can't even tell the difference. So he's got the suit on, he's got the tie on, he's got an England shirt underneath, and you literally cannot tell. Can't tell is it. it looks brilliant. That's the. I think that's the best com- compliment we could we could probably get. <laughs> Football shirt and wedding still get, all in one. I was still getting my head around that a Scottishman made one of my favourite England kits, and a Rangers fan made uh, one of the most famous Celtic shirts. I mean, look. I mean, look. You know. Amazing things can happen, you know. It's the weird and wonderful world. <laughs> I don't know. Would that have Opposition been track. in 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 your time at Nike and Umbro? Are they two of the teams that you would love to have done, Scotland and Rangers? Or do you think that would have been a little bit of a dilemma, actually? Because would you have been too close to it? Or you know what? I thought about that a lot. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would have been too close to it. Like, there's so many things that you want to do and you can't do it because of cost or. I don't know, for one reason, or you can't get the club to sign off on it, like for one reason or another, like to design a football shirt is like a constant process of like hopes dashed and disappointments, you know? And so I, I think it would be one of those things where you would set out being like, okay, I'm going to do the best Scotland shirt ever. And of course, you know, you would end up changing stuff and it wouldn't be quite, I feel like, yeah, just be too close to it, I think. I guess you're almost in a position where you, your life's best work might never, ever be seen because somebody doesn't want to choose it. I mean, there are more, I've designed like 10 times more short designs that are, are just left on the cutting room floor that, that never saw the light of day, you know? Some really cool stuff that just never never materialised for, for one reason or another. Is there, is there one that you lose sleep over even today and you think, I wish, I wish that I'd gone forward? Which team was it that's, that killed your dreams? We pitched to get the German national team off of Adidas at one point. I think their contract was up or something was happening and Nike were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to try and steal it, steal it from them. They were going to offer a ridiculous amount of money. And so we went through like a whole process of like designing something. We got samples made. As like here's what you could have and it was it was genuinely one of the best things that i've ever been a part of and ultimately they stuck with adidas so it never it never saw it never saw the light of day serves them right because those adidas shirts what they had the one that had to sort of let the half black stripe come across the middle didn't they yeah, yeah. that's a bad kit that was a bad bad life choice by them bad choice you know they could have had a lot of money and they could have had much nicer kits uh to boot but yeah, that was like that was caught up in all of the. They they had like a separate deal for the for the boots. So like every player in the German national team is wears Adidas boots, regardless of what their what contracts they have, club level. So it was it was caught up in all of that type of stuff. But yeah, that was a bummer. We 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 did a really nice one. When you look at the designs and, and things like that now, and you look back, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Do you see a lot of similarities in the things that you were doing back then that you do now? Or, or are there some things that come out and you think, wow, that's a really fresh design. That's a really interesting way of looking at, looking at it. Or is it kind of cyclical and it's sort of come back around again? I think it's cyclical. I mean, it's kind of weird on how little it seems that they've moved on in, in a lot of ways. 
I think I would have expected a little bit more progress, you know, especially on the innovation side and the fabrication side. It definitely seems like everybody's leaning into prints a lot now as like a way to, to differentiate. And I think they can be done well or they can be done badly. So I definitely have some thoughts on, on that. There's not that much where I look at it and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that's that's kind of new. I feel like this year, I want to say like the Tottenham away kit or is it the third cut? It's kind of like a, I don't know, I'm saying this like a tie dye or like a, some weird like thing. I'm like, OK, that's that's a little bit different. Whether you like it or not, it almost kind of doesn't matter. I'm just like, that's that's kind of cool and interesting. But honestly, like it's it's kind of a little bit surprised. I would maybe expected things to have moved on a little bit more since I left. It does seem to be sort of a design focus either on retro elements, print elements, or retro print elements. And there's kind of, yeah. they're the three things that are working together because, you know, the prints look a bit different. The retro one is because all those fans who were buying yeah. shirts in the 90s are now in their 40s yeah. and can afford it. So it's that kind of... Yeah arena it seems that it's it's moved too far that way maybe a little bit yeah i think it can happen i th- i think there's also a reality that raw materials are more expensive right now and so there's probably pressure on the margins i remember i was watching the european championships last summer and we also designed the typography for the back the, the names and numbers for the backs of the kits we would certainly at the national level we would do that stuff too and I noticed Turkey were, were wearing the same one that we did. And I was like, wow, they haven't changed that in like 10 years. And then somebody was like, no, that's like a that's like a retro, like a bring back, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's been that long. So it's kind of funny to, to see some of that stuff like come around again, you know, from the from the first time we, we did it and, and still have it have it look relatively fresh. But yeah, I'm I'm also just like, dad, do something different, do something new, you know? In terms of the shirts out there, that Spurs one, it's divisive, but it is new and it is different. Are there any other standouts that you think actually that's a nice shirt? And what do you think makes a nice shirt? I, what I think a nice shirt is that tells some kind of story that, that resonates with the fans. And that's why I struggle a little bit with the current Chelsea shirt, for example. It's got like a fun and interesting pattern. I'm like, what does it mean? You know, like, I'm not sure... There's probably some kind of story or some rationale behind it, but I can't I can't get it just by just by looking at it. And I think that's that's the case for quite a lot that are coming out at, at the moment. The ones that I like, the ones that I like the most are the ones that get talked about the most and the ones that generate the most debate. Because as a designer, we would watch the forums, the football shirt cultures and all of that, and we would look at the comments and if people loved it, that's great. If people hated it, that's almost even better. Hang like, on, this this doesn't mean you like the Puma third tem- templates, is it? I, I hate them so much, but the fact that they did it, that's awesome. Trying something different, you know? They're terrible. They're the worst thing I've ever seen. But I can't help but notice them when I'm when I'm watching a game. I can't help but think about the brand behind it and the process that they had to go through to like get those approved and get those out. And I'm like, man, kudos to them to at least like trying something, even though it's a shocking mess. I need to check how much did Adrian say he was going to transfer you for saying the Puma third templates were so bad because he tries to get it in every single week as well. You done well there, Adrian. Well done. I know this is week week thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> 
bit out of it, doesn't it? It is true, though, isn't it? It's kind of, you do want the shirts to create some debate because otherwise, if everything just gets accepted by the fans or rejected by the fans, there isn't a lot There isn't a lot in there, then, is that you, you probably haven't really done done your job as a designer if no. there isn't discussion, even if it's that right. you put it on a pedestal or, you you know, you put it in that's the bin. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. The worst thing is to put something out and people just kind of collectively shrug their shoulders, you know, like that. that's the thing that feels if people feel strongly about it one way or another you have to respect that but at least you've done something that's you know provoking some kind of reaction for us i suppose that's where you know as people are on twitter and social media these days that's kind of where we get our discussion points from and that's where we sort of chat the most with people what about any advice for people out there who are getting involved in football shirt design there's quite a lot of clubs now who open competitions brucia dortmund did one quite successfully where they got a lot of applicants Mm -hmm. What about any advice for future designers if, if they're listening or if they're interested or just doing it as a hobby? What kind of things should they be looking at themselves? I think it's, I'd encourage folks to, to try and do something which is recognisable but not necessarily unique. You know, I think like a lot of times folks kind of try and do something that feels completely different to anybody's ever seen. Some football shirt that looks like it's come from space and I, and I don't think that's necessarily always the way to go. You're not designing for yourself. You're you're designing for the fans that will buy this thing and wear it to games and wear it to their weddings even. You know, like it's it's an important thing for, for people and you have to kind of respect that. And so thinking about them and what they want and what resonates with them is ultimately the most important thing way over and above like what you may want to do to get your design rocks off. You know, it's you know means something to people and you should you should respect the process in that way oh it's great it it really does sum up that that idea behind design and connecting with the fans so i'm going to ask two last questions only short questions so the first question is what is your favorite football shirt of all time and the second question is which do you think is the best designed football shirt of all time my favorite football shirt of all time is probably I remember back in the day, Scotland did a pink away shirt or something with like tartan shorts. Yeah. It was an absolute shocker. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was perfect for then, you know, yeah, yeah. and it was like the perfect, perfect Scotland shirt for like <laughs> all of these folks that will go to away games and end up being very pink themselves. Yeah. It was just like it was the it was the perfect look, you know. The best designed shirt, man, I don't know. That's a really tough one. I, I think I actually I actually don't know. The best designed one is the one that has the least distraction that allows the players to perform for 90, 120 minutes without barely noticing that they're wearing it. I remember like we would try and use the weight of the uniform every single year and we would be like, okay, this... This year, like last year, it was the equivalent of like carrying a Mars bar in your pocket or something. That's how much weight we've we've saved, you know, that you don't have to carry for, for 90 minutes. So I think like the best designed one are, are, are the ones that you don't notice they're, they're wearing. And I think like it's only really the players that can probably tell you. I know the ones that aren't great. They're the Puma ones that like stuck to your skin or the ones that Jens Lehmann was having to go to the tailors to get fixed or the ones that the numbers fell off the back. Yeah, I don't know exactly which which shirts kind of like fit that criteria, but 
you know, ultimately the ones that perform the best are probably the best designed. Yeah, that's great. A great answer, Stu. And that, that really kind of sums up for us what it means to be a designer compared to just a collector or a, or a shirt family. So really appreciate that. So we really appreciate you spending the time with us now because we've gone through a whole range of your career, lots of different shirts, getting an insight into the process. And I'm, I'm sure everyone who listens to the Kitmag podcast and reads the magazine really appreciates that insight because it's not always something that we get to see because we, we're there as the consumer when the poster comes out or the re- the leaks come out or we see it on a website to pre-order. So it's great mm-hmm. to uh, it's great to hear that back. So I really appreciate you joining us today on Kit Magga Podcast. And hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to listening to uh, all of the forthcoming episodes. It's been a pleasure having you, Steve. How are you, lads? That was a great listen, that one, guys. Um, do you have any thoughts after that? Yeah, it was brilliant to... Um to talk to Stu it's great to, to see the other side the things that we don't see one of the things that me and Adrian really found interesting was the, the lead time going into these shirts how they start designing them or researching them 18 months plus before they're even going to be getting released so it just gives you an insight into the actual thought process that goes into these shirts and although obviously we've talked on the pod before about these stories that go along with shirts. I think Phil Dell's talked about that a little bit, didn't he, in his 101. They do try and research where these shirts and these clubs have come from. They try and work out what works for these teams, why they need them. And I think like um, we're successful during that period, probably because they took on some of those things, but also tried to push the envelope in terms of the design of the shirts, which is what Stu mentioned as well. And it is, is notable to think that some of the comfort that comes in those tailored by uh, Umbro shirts for England will have come from some of the things they had at Nike in terms of the way they developed different fabrics and the way they wore the shirts differently. I think most of us agree that those tailored by Umbro shirts for England are a pretty good shirt and they, they do actually stand up. Maybe not at the time you thought they weren't as jazzy or as crazy as you wanted, but I think they're pretty good shirts when you look back on them. Yeah, it's interesting, wasn't it? So, yeah, what people don't realise that they'll come out with sweeping statements about the fact that, you know, all these materials feel the same and, you know, they copied it from a catalogue. You find out that actually a lot of these materials and, and templates and, and patterns are bespoke to clubs. And then once a club's got it bespoke, then it gets offered to everybody else in a different colourway. So from something positive to now something perhaps negative, we have the Forbidden Football Shirts guys at Forbidden Shirts and they are putting this in Room 101. My name's Dan. And I'm Andy. We're here to talk about designer football shirts. Yeah, you hate everything designer and everything that stands for capitalism, basically. <laughs> so my point, designer football shirt collaboration. So we'll say the most sort of recent ones off the top of my head, the, the human race, um, uh, Man United, Real Madrid, Bayern, Munich and Arsenal. Sort of, you know, the, the PSGs, the Louis Vuittons and... Uh, Napoli and the, the the weird birdie thing they did last Marce- year. Marcelo Berlon, yeah. Marcelo, yeah. Um, I just don't like them. And I just don't think they contribute anything to a football club season. They come they come along and go on, you know, Napoli go, oh, I've just joined up with this, you know, fashion design, brought out another shirt. You know, we'll use it in one game and, you know, you can pay an extra £100 for the privilege to own it. And I, I just I just don't think they're, they're necessary in, in today's sort of market, uh, today's sort of 
world where we're trying to cut back um, in the football world, in the community. And yeah, if, if it's used for a game, what's what's the point? And I'm going to now flip on the other side of the fence. And even though, even though it pains me to say, I do partially agree with you, but I do like the collaborations. That's a good shout for Room 101. I think I'd like it in and out if that's possible. Please, <laughs> team, everyone, you know, can we half put it in, half take out, maybe put it in one we can take out the next, depending on shirt release. Let's, <laughs> let's agree on that. Something in the middle, yeah, perhaps. Maybe maybe we'll ask, uh, we'll ask the boys, see what they think. Thanks, guys. So, never ones to hold back. Guys, where are we placing this? I, th- I think it's like anything. Good, good fashion collabs are really good. Bad fashion collabs are really bad. Uh, I, Tom, you and I really like the Milan hookup. I think other things work really well. I, I really like the human race things. I thought, like particularly the United Snowflake was better than any of the ripoffs we've done through Adidas other than that so if they work well they work well if they work badly they're bad so I don't see if you've got somebody who's interested in design who's involved in developing clothes then of course that input's great but anything like anything if it goes bad it goes bad yeah I have to say uh I'm always big fans of all of those ones you just mentioned but Rob do you have a an opinion that can possibly change our minds I, I think sometimes they don't actually go far enough. I mean, just think about that Milan one. They could have added extra details on it. You know, it could have been, the white could have been slightly different colours depending on, you know, where it's come from. The human race ones, I wasn't really sold on at the time, but when you look back on them, it just means that those shirts, as time goes on, will probably become classics, actually. And I can imagine those human race ones in 10 or 15 years' time being really classic shirts, like a classic set of shirts. But at the time... It, I think people build it up so that they feel underwhelming. Other collaborations, I think, don't actually go far enough. They play with the badges, they change the sponsors, they change the logos, they kind of try to make it work really differently. And sometimes I think the clubs get a little bit cold feet, maybe, and it doesn't go far enough. Those new Real Madrid ones that they did, whoever the designer is that was was with them, I mean, it just looks like another black Real Madrid shirt. And is that that much different to what they've had over the last few years? Probably not. There's quite a lot of them that, for me, probably should go a little bit further and push the boundaries of the football shirt side of it more than following what has already gone before. Yeah, so I don't want to... I never want to give them as a good example, but Napoli last year with the uh, Marcello Berlon, I think it was called, um, shirts, at least they embraced the... you know the theme of the designer, the narrative, they had the wings, they went all out, like they did on most of the wear and they put that on the shirts. And it was sort of like, you could tell it was Napoli shirt, just, I mean, they've had so many, it's hard to recognise Napoli shirt, but you could tell it was Napoli shirt. But at the same time, the designer's theme and narrative really shone through on it. And yeah, like I say, I hate to say it, but that was a great shirt. So I think we're all actually in disagreement with the Forbidden Guys then. Is that right? We can't put this into Room 101. Is that how I've read the room? I think maybe if people had stronger opinions on a topic like this, it might actually get it right in there. But I I, I probably think I'd put them in Room 101 because they don't really actually work that well, do they? Good things have come of it. I think if it's done right, the Yamamoto, the dragon shirt is a classic, like the Porto dragon shirt or something like that. It's a classic shirt. If they're done right, they work well. I think what Robin and Adrian talk about is 
when things are ill thought out, like anything, like poor templates, they they're not worth it. So I don't think we can put that in room one hundred and one. Sorry, lads. Um, the the consensus is that they, they they can be done, but maybe they need to be done a little better. And I think that could be true of all of us in the Twitter sphere. Um, so from me, and from Adrian, from Rob and Alex, it's goodbye for now. Can someone shut that gate?